you're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. So we had an amazing time at our fall party yesterday. A ton of you guys came out. It was about 12,000 degrees out. That was the only downside. But we had an amazing time, and I want to thank you for being there. And um, so if you were there, you saw that there was this huge, I promised you guys last week that we were going to have the biggest inflatable you've ever seen in your life. And we have a picture of it here. This was called Adrenaline Rush. That's what the name of this. Uh, it's literally the size of three inflatables put together. And it's like basically a huge maze. And there's two entry points right here. And then you race somebody through it, right? And so the kids are having a blast. Our staff's in there doing an amazing job throughout the whole day. And um, at the end of the day, my watch says I got 18,000 something steps yesterday, literally. So I, I was like, I was exhausted. It's about one o'clock. We'd been there since nine in the morning setting up and running everything. And at, at one o'clock, the guys come in to take the inflatable away. Andrew's like, we got to go through it. We got to go through it. We got to do this. And so I was like, all right, all right, you know, I'll go through it, right? And so he comes flying down the hill, jumps in there. I jump in here. And basically it's a race and you, you, you like have to like crawl through stuff, jump over stuff, climb up stuff, slide down stuff. And so I'm like four or five steps into this thing and I already have neck pain, all right? And so um, I'm going, and then I hear Andrew next to me going, you're going so slow, man. And I was like, bro. So I didn't realize it was a race like in the moment. I knew the kids had been racing through, but I thought I was just gonna leisurely do this. And so I start to pick up my pace a little because Andrew's mocking me. And then I hear from right behind me, Doug, move it. And it's two more of our staff like chasing me through this thing. So now I'm like flying through this thing. I'm running and flying flipping and falling. I literally fall out the thing on the grass. I come out. My knees have burns all over them. I'm like, I am 45 racing 35 to 20 year olds through this stupid adrenaline rush thing. And then I get home and my daughter Bryn's like, hey dad, I got that whole thing on video. I'm like, awesome. Great. So now all of that is there documented forever. And the two guys in the story that we're going to talk about today, I think if they could have chosen, wouldn't have had this documented. Some things we're going to learn today from these two guys' lives, and they don't have the greatest resume, but man, one of them was willing to learn, the other one not so much, but we can learn incredibly from what they went through. And I want to talk with you about some big struggles they had that we have big time. And this was written thousands of years ago. These guys walked this a long, long time ago, but it could have been written today about the things that are going on in our culture. And that's why the book of Daniel has been so amazing. It's almost like, hey, Daniel, write us a book for 2023. And here it is. And it's like, wow. So I love what we're going to see here today. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at two things that can kill or at least hinder our relationship with God. Two things that could kill or greatly hinder our relationship with God. Everybody say pride. Everybody say idolatry. We're going to work through these two things today. Pride says I worship myself. Idolatry says I worship stuff. Pride says I love myself more than anything. Idolatry says I love my stuff more than anything. Pride says God is less valuable than me. Idolatry says God is less valuable than my stuff. And so we have these things in our heart, and they're just so deadly. And that's what I want to encourage you with today is that... Yes, talking about pride and idolatry like aren't the most exciting things in the world. Maybe some of you guys are like, it's raining out. I should have stayed home and like half watched the stream, right? Now, the truth is, is we are going to be invited into such beautiful things here this morning. Like this isn't just like, hey guys, let's knock off the pride and the idolatry. Let's close in prayer. Like there is some beautiful invitation into what God has for us. Because I don't know if you know this, but your pride and idolatry is built a huge wall between you and God, between me and God. And so what happens when that wall comes down? 
What God can do there in that space is absolutely incredible. And so we're going to talk about this, and I think it'll hit us all today. You might be like, oh, I don't struggle with either of these things. I think we do more than we even realize. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today, I hope that you find some real truth about Jesus. I hope you see his love for you, and I hope you see the awesome God that we have that's maybe a little different than what you had in your head. Sometimes you're like, oh, I got, I've gone to church before. I've seen YouTube videos. I've heard about this God stuff. And I just pray that maybe you'll see very different lens on who God is today. And so as we've been saying, as we're in week four of this series, Daniel wrote the book of Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem and took Daniel and some of his friends captive. And they've been serving in Babylon for many years. And um, the book of Daniel is not written chronologically chapter to chapter, so it jumps around a little bit on ages and what's happening when. And when we first picked up, Daniel was a teenager, right? And now in this chapter, he is about 45 years old, an amazing age in life. Here I am, right here, okay? Uh, you know, so all the good stuff, I guarantee you he's still good to race some people through an inflatable at his age, so it's all good. Let's jump in, Daniel 4.1. King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, so pause there. We got two words in. Pause there. You know how like we write a letter and we, we say... You know, to Joe, love Doug, right? Or to whoever from Doug, right? Well, King Nebuchadnezzar is stating up front, he's the writer. So it's like, King Nebuchadnezzar, let me tell you my story. Here he goes. To the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure, he worked at Chick-fil-A, it is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, his dominion endures from generation to generation. So you've read the book or seen the movie where they start at the end of the story and then they go back, Right? Like Christopher Nolan's known for these kinds of movies. You start at the end, then you go back, and then you tell the story, and it's like a, a first-person point of view. And this is what's happening. Nebuchadnezzar is starting at the end of his story. He's just said God is great. He said his kingdom will go on for generations, all this stuff. That is not the Nebuchadnezzar we find at the beginning of this story. His heart was in a very different place. And so let's go ahead and jump in here. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. Have you ever had a dream that terrified you? A few weeks ago, I walked to the kitchen. My daughter comes out. She had just gotten up. And she's giving me an attitude. I'm like, first moment I'm seeing you here. What's going on today? And she goes, you cut my leg off with a kitchen knife. I was like, what is happening right now? I'm just staring at her like a crazy person. I'm like, are we talking about a dream here maybe? She's like, yeah. I'm like, why is the anger real then? You know, I'm getting this attitude. But sometimes dreams terrify us. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that absolutely terrifies him. And look at what it says in verse 7. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Now, if you've been with us through this series so far, you know Nebuchadnezzar should have learned his lesson by now. This has not worked at all. He calls his guys, the magicians and astrologers, and they can't do anything. And then he calls Daniel, and something totally different happens. Verse 8, finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belshazzar, chief of my magicians, I know that the, holy, or excuse me, that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. So Nebuchadnezzar knows there's a huge difference. I just love that. He knows there's a huge difference between Daniel and the others. So my question for you, real, not, not the point of the message today, but man, do we stand apart? 
You know, I, I saw a friend today. He walked into the church. I hadn't seen him in years. We went to high school together. And when you're around this guy, you just feel like you're around Jesus. It's one of the only ways to say it. And, and I saw him in the back. I didn't know he was in town. He lives in Nashville. Walked in the door. Just like, I just felt like God's presence immediately. Like, how cool is that? Are we those kinds of people that just carry the presence of God where we go? Little side note. All right, let's keep going. I know I'm talking very fast today. Uh, the person doing the lyrics was like, Doug, you're flying today because we got a lot to get to in a short amount of time here, okay? Let's keep going. It goes on. It says in the next part, verse 10, these are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree. Everybody see the tree? Picture it in your mind. Picture this vision, all right? I saw a, a tree in the middle of the land. It was, its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was invisible to the ends of the earth. Oh, excuse me, invisible. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. Now, in these ancient times, trees were often used to describe rulers of nations. So stick with that. It'll be important in just a minute. Verse 13. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. This is likely referring to an angel. He called out. So the angel calls out in this dream, a loud voice, cut down the tree. Remember the tree often represents rulers of nations. Cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip it its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Now, up until this point, we see that the dream, there's this word tree used. And in a minute, the word tree is going to be taken out and the word him is going to be inserted in. Okay. So it's very clear in just a minute that we're not really talking about a tree. We're talking about a person, right? I've never looked at a tree and called it a him, right? I never said to my wife, I'm going to go rake up his leaves. You know, it's like, so obviously this is about a person. And I'm guessing Nebuchadnezzar knows I might be the tree. I hope I'm not the tree. Let's keep going. Let him be drenched. See? No, it doesn't say let the tree be drenched. It says, now it says let him. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the planets of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign. Everybody say sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest people. The king's just going, I hope I'm not the tree. I hope I'm not the tree. Verse 18, this is the dream that I, Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can. I love it, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Now, his theology is wrong. There's not a bunch of holy gods, right? There's one holy God, but he sees that God is at work in Daniel's life. And it goes on, then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. And Daniel tells us a few verses later in verse 22, your majesty, you are that tree. That tree that's going to be cut down and trimmed down represents you. And then he gives us some direction here. He says, you have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. So the question for Nebuchadnezzar is, hey man, who, who made this possible? Like you have this great kingdom. Who, who pulled this all off? And Nebuchadnezzar's answer would have been, I did. I pulled it off. Didn't I do awesome? Didn't I do great? Do you see all that I did? Wrong answer. 
Daniel then restates some of the dream in the next couple of verses and pick up with me in verse 24. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Okay, so look at me real quick. If we have any therapists or psychologists here in the room, you know there's an actual mental disorder called zoanthropy. And zoanthropy is when somebody thinks they're an animal. And what's going on here is that God is saying that for a time, Nebuchadnezzar is going to lose his mind and literally think and live like an animal. Of course, the question will be, why? Why is God putting Nebuchadnezzar through this? What's the point? Everybody say pride. Pride says, I worship myself. Pride says, I love myself more than anything else. Pride says, God is less valuable than me. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge, everybody say acknowledge, that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and he gives them to anyone he wishes. Because there's this great pride that has built up in Nebuchadnezzar. It's causing him all kinds of issues. And listen, everyone look at me real quick. This is so important. Your pride doesn't just hurt you. Your pride does not just hurt you. We're going to find out that because Nebuchadnezzar was proud, it caused him to oppress others. And so your pride impacts your family. Your pride impacts the people you work with and go to school with and live with. Your pride is not just your problem. It's everybody's problem that lives in a close circle around you. And so the invitation away from pride is a beautiful thing, not just for you, but even those that you love. Let's keep going. Verse 26, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots. Remember before it said, cut the tree, cut the branches, but it says, leave the stump. This command means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. So God's being gracious. He's going to give Nebuchadnezzar his kingdom back. Verse 27, therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. See, his pride had made him oppress people. He's going, Daniel's just pleading with him. And if I could plead with you and me today, that we would repent of our pride, that we would repent from our self-centeredness. Like I said last week, sometimes God says go left and we go right out of pride, out of just defiance. Or maybe it's just, look at all I've done. Look at my accomplishments. Or maybe it's, look at me and so all I care about is me and mine. He's inviting him out of this. He says, please repent of this. Renounce your sins. And it may then be that your prosperity will continue. Verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my power and for the glory of my majesty? Okay, so a couple of cool things. Archaeologists, if you're wondering if the Bible is historical, have found documents where Nebuchadnezzar is bragging about the glory of Babylon. So this is very real. And he had, some, he had built some amazing things. He built something called the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. And he built them, it's thought, to comfort his wife who had moved from somewhere else where there were mountains and greenery. And here in Babylon, she was missing all that. And so he creates the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Isn't that nice? Like, that'd be a nice thing to do for your wife. Like, oh, you're missing home? Let's create you some crazy billion-dollar gardens here hanging for you, right? But have you ever been there in that moment of, look what I have done for me and my glory? Look what I've accomplished. Look who I am. Look what I have. Look what I can do. Look how we're living because of what I've done. It's a scary place to be. I want to tell you one of my least favorite stories about myself right now. I have been dreading telling this story all week. So we used to have a building in Wisconsin on 347. And about 20 years ago, probably 19 years ago, 
um, were in the church building, and it just looked like a church building. Like, you know how church buildings looked. Maybe some of you don't. I don't know. But, but many years ago, you kind of remember, the inside of the church just sort of was a church. And, and around that time, some churches around the nation were doing some really cool things in church. And from the time I was a teenager, it was the cry of my heart that people would know that following God is not boring and irrelevant. And so in my heart was, how do we get this next generation to see that God is worth living for? How do we speak their language? How do we engage them? And so I'm kind of learning from these churches around the nation, and and they're doing things on the inside just to make it a little bit more engaging and creative. And so they're like getting screens instead of overhead projectors. Anybody remember the overhead projector? They used to have a guy at the front, and they'd be leading the worship, and someone would take this, you know, the handwritten overhead projector off, and they'd see like an error on there and take a Sharpie out and cross it out and rewrite the thing and slop it up there so you could sing, you know? But so we got some cool screens and we built the stage out and we got some really cool lighting. And again, my heart was never to be flashy or showy because I know that's not going to change anybody's life, but it was engage this generation, right? I'll never forget one Sunday or one day of the week it was, I, I walked into the church, I was all by myself, all the lights were on and the stage looked great and all the screens were on and this thought runs through my mind, look what I have built. And it was like right then, man, God just like tapped me on the shoulder It's like he just whispered to me, Doug, you're not the first person who's thought that. I just remember such repentance coming over me in that moment because I know how quick a trip it is from look what I have built to living like you're out of your mind. We have to be so careful that we keep our eyes on the Lord and that in those moments when those thoughts hit us, I don't care where you are, get down physically on your knees and repent. I don't care if you're on the sidewalk. I don't care if you're in a store. You pretend you're tying your shoe, but just get on a knee and just go, Lord, I'm so sorry. And sometimes we maybe physically can't get on a knee, but it's just literally like, Lord, I'm just going to repent here in my heart. Lord, you know, you know my mind, but we just can't let that stuff keep kicking around because it's just so deadly. Let's keep going. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by you until you acknowledge. Okay, so what has to change is, and this is going to rub some of us the wrong way, what has to change is Nebuchadnezzar has to acknowledge that God is sovereign over all things. Okay, and we're going to wrestle with that in just a minute. Until you acknowledge the most highest sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. So here is the struggle, and I understand the struggle. And maybe you're like, Doug, can you say that in church? I think some of us look at a passage like that, and we're like, okay, so God is making all this happen to Nebuchadnezzar until he says, God, you are awesome, and you're sovereign, and you're amazing. And the thought that we can wrestle with is, God, why are you so cocky? Right? Like, like who are you to make it so about you? Like you, you literally, you just want to hear that you're sovereign and that you have authority, and once that's accomplished, then Nebuchadnezzar could be okay again? Like, why would you put somebody through that just so that they can say how great you are? And there's an amazing answer to that, everybody. God can say that he is the source of all things and that he gives all things and he is good above all things. Look at me, because he really is. It's cocky for you and me because we're really not. But he knows that if he is loving, the thing he's going to light in your heart the most is him. And he's not arrogant to say it. He's inviting you into closeness with him and nearness with him. And all the other garbage that distracts us, all the stuff that we live for, all the things that we have, that the keys that these, you know, the things these keys belong to, and the stupid phone in our pocket that is like 
probably the biggest downfall of most of our lives, he invites us away from that stuff and into this relationship with nearness with him. The thing Nebuchadnezzar and Doug Jansen, every person here listening today needs most is eyes on him. When we're connected to him and we're satisfied in him, right? When we disconnect from him, that is when it all goes, isn't it? That's when it all falls apart. And so what's more loving? Just think about it. Is it more loving for Nebuchadnezzar to be just for the rest of his days thinking that he is the greatest thing since sliced bread and he is just amazing and how wonderful he is but eyes off of God? Or is it more loving for God to allow Nebuchadnezzar to walk through this time and humble him and eventually know that he, God, really is the greatest thing of all? I want you to think about it this way. Imagine you're at a baseball game. I don't know if you've been watching the World Series. It's two teams no one's ever heard of before. But I actually think it's great. It's been really great baseball, so I've been enjoying it. But let's just pretend you're at your next baseball game, and you're sitting there watching your favorite player, and he makes an unbelievable catch. Diving catch just lays out, flips, falls, catches it, hangs on to it. Then the very next play, the ball is hit to the very same guy. And the ball's going to him. You're like, what's he going to do? And all of a sudden, you're like, the ball just went flying over his head, and I think he's staring at me. What's going on? And he is. He, he's making his way over to your seat. He walks all the way over to the sideline. He just looks at you, and he's like, yo, man, that's a sick coat. <laughs> Bro, runs are scoring right now. Like, yeah, the ball's just rolling around the outfield. Like, thanks, but go get the ball and play, man. I, I, I will. I will. But can you just shoot me a text on that coat? Like, like, that's just, I've never seen a coat quite like that. Well, I got it at a thrift shop. I don't even know what brand it is. Can you just like, if you look under here, if you look at the, and the runs are scoring and everyone's booing, and everyone's freaking out, right? Like the last thing you want is for someone of greatness to make a lot about you in a moment when it's really about them. Nobody paid, you know, $80 and $130 to park <laughs> to come watch some guy make a big deal of your coat. You didn't pay that either. You want him out there making the crazy catch. You want him out there diving. Go talk about my coat later, man. Go show off. Go show us what you can do. Show us your greatness. And that's the invitation you and I have from God. He could make a lot. Of, look, he loves us so much. He died for us. He rose from the dead. He's forgiven us. He walks with us. He cares. I'm not saying he doesn't care. And I'm listen, I'm not saying you and I are worthless. We are so full of worth that he's done all that for us. And the greatest thing he can do, though, is not let you keep your eyes on you. He's got to turn them to him if he's really loving. Because that's where we're set free. That's where satisfaction is. That's where wow is. That's where amazement is. The most loving thing he can do is say, get your eyes off you. Let's keep going. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. So zoanthropy, right, has kicked in, man. He's lost his mind, and he is in this crazy place. And I just want you to picture five-year-old Doug Jansen sitting at church, and they show a video reenactment of this moment. It scared the life out of me. Like, what are they going to show next? Saw five next week? Like, what are we doing here in church? But I do want to say that, you know, pride, sin, although it's linked to Nebuchadnezzar's uh, mental struggle, that is not the source of all mental struggle and mental illness. There are a million reasons for mental illness, right? But in Nebuchadnezzar's specific case, it's linked. Verse 34, at the end of that time, here we go. I love this. He's gone through it. 
He's been living out there for seven times until seven times has passed. At the end of that time, I never can answer, raise my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored and then I praise the most high. Does anybody see how alive Nebuchadnezzar is here in this writing? You know what I mean? Like, we've gotten to know Nebuchadnezzar over the last four weeks in the book of Daniel so far. And here he is, like, alive. We've seen him afraid. We've seen him terrified. We've seen him a little bit worried about what was going on. We've seen him arrogant. We've seen him defiant. But it just seems like he's alive here, talking about how amazing God is. Because that's what knowing and centering our lives around him does. It brings us to life. Like, now my eyes can finally be off me. My stupid little thing, I can do. Some of you guys are like, I was at the old building, Doug. It wasn't all that great, man. I mean, my five-year-old probably could have built what you built, you know? Like, it wasn't, you're thinking, like, look what I built. Who cares what you built? But when my eyes are on him and what he can do, everything changes. And again, I'm not degrading anybody here today. I know so many of you guys, you're incredibly gifted, wonderful people with huge talent, huge ability, huge capacity. But it's all a gift from him. Just like Nebuchadnezzar. And every leader who's ever existed, and every person who's ever existed. And I guess we just have to ask, ask the question, like, whose kingdom are we building? Let's keep going. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. We've got to write a song based on these lyrics. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? See, here's the thing. I'm 45, still trying to run through inflatables. My kingdom, if I were trying to build one, how much longer do I have? There's a kingdom that goes on forever. Like your kingdom, I'm not trying to belittle you, but like how long does that last? And what at the end of the day is it good for if it's not a part of God's kingdom? And I have to talk to myself as a pastor because I think a lot of the times as we see, so sadly, like church leaders fall and churches fall apart. And I think it's often when we begin to build our own kingdom instead of really building the Lord's. Verse 36, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Look how good and gracious God is. Like he gives them back the kingdom, makes them greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. Lesson learned, mind restored, kingdom restored, eyes on God. Is there anybody here today that needs to just go, Lord, I gotta get my eyes back on you. They've been so on me, so what I can do, so what I can control, so what I can't control. They've just been on me. God, you say left, I go right. Maybe your pride is because of defiance. Maybe your pride is because of what you can do. Today's our day to get our eyes back on the Lord. If only Nebuchadnezzar's grandson had learned from his story. Let's keep going. Daniel 5.1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. Now, something we need to know. Look at me real quick. Something we need to know. On the other side of the walls was an army coming to take Babylon out. Like at this moment. And Belshazzar would have known that, but he throws the banquet anyway because Babylon hadn't been breached from the outside for a thousand years. And so he's kind of just acting in, you know, some arrogance here going, well, I'm not even worried about what's going on outside. 
Verse 2, while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father. So pause there. Did you just see it called Nebuchadnezzar his father? So back in the day, there was no word for grandfather. So every forefather they would call a father. But we know historically that Nebuchadnezzar was, was Belshazzar's grandfather. So his grandfather had taken them from the temple in Jerusalem. Remember that? We saw that in week one. So that the kings and nobles, wives and concubines might drink from them. So in this chapter now, we just jumped decades. Chapter 5, Daniel's in his 80s. He's not running through inflatables anymore, all right? Let's keep going. We've talked a lot about pride today. It's going to still hang in there, but, but everybody say idolatry. Because this is where that's going to kick off. It says, I worship stuff. I love stuff more than anything. God's less valuable than my stuff. Verse 3. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, wives, concubines drank from them. And here we go. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. And everybody's going in the room. That's so stupid. Why would anybody do that? That's so stupid. Why would we worship items made of gold and silver? Why would we, oh wow, we do that? Why would we, why would they, seriously, they're just drinking and they're, they're making up some God. Okay, so we don't, like, not like we're praising God and, 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 you know, or praising the gods of these bracelets and keys and all the things that these keys belong to today. But men, if we've centered our lives around them, if we've made them ultimate, then we are worshiping them. We can't let them take center stage. And again, this is just an invitation to what is good. And I'm not saying, you know, throw all this stuff out. Maybe this, but I'm not saying throw all this stuff out, but... But what does it look like in our lives to just realign things and say, Lord, you are ultimate. You are ultimate. I love you more than my stuff. I want to spend time with you more than I want to spend time with my stuff. This invitation into wholeness in him. I need you to picture this. Let's keep going. I know we're flying today, but good stuff here. Uh, Verse 5, suddenly the fingers of a human hand. Can you guys picture this with me? The fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. Okay, so this was also in the movie when I was five. (laughs) Horrific, horrific stuff. Okay, so check this out. Are you wondering if the Bible is historical? Check this quote out. In the ruins of Nebuchadnezzar's palace, archaeologists have uncovered a large throne room 56 feet wide and 173 feet long, which probably was the scene of this banquet. Midway in the long wall opposite the entrance, there was a niche in front of which the king may have well been seated. Interestingly, the wall behind the niche was covered with white plaster as described by Daniel, which would make an excellent background for such a writing. I love it when the Bible and archaeology line up. The king watched the hand as it wrote, His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. All right, any say by the bell fans in the crowd today? Come on, just 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 out yourself. Okay. So my the only line I remember from anything there, this is such a great line. Screech was like behind a podium and he's giving a speech to his class, and he says, My knees were knocking so loud I almost answered them. And that's comedy gold right now. Come on, that's that's just great. But here is Nebuchadnezzar's uh, grandson Belcherzer freaking out. And let me summarize a little bit for time. The next several verses, the king tries to get the magicians to help him. They can't. Big surprise. But then the queen says, hey, there's this guy, Daniel. He helped your grandfather out. And then it says in verse 17, Daniel answered the king, because the king had offered him riches and prizes and gold, or, or gifts rather. You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Now, I love this. And this isn't the point of the message today, but somebody, I think, needs this encouragement. We find Daniel in his 80s in the same relationship with God we found him in his teens. 
I just love that. And, and, and you know what? That's a big deal. Not just because he's old and thank God he, he made it and he's, he's still walking with God and all that. His whole life, he was a slave in a foreign land. And so he'd been through it, everybody. Some of us in the room right now, we're going through it. We've been through it. And it's so easy for our hearts to get hard, isn't it? Thank God Daniel was just like, he didn't say, oh, I don't talk to him anymore. I can't interpret the dream, great king, because I don't have a relationship with that God anymore. No, he's like, yeah, still there, still walking with him. Verse 18, your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Then Daniel reminds Belshazzar what his grandfather went through, and it says, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Belshazzar, your grandpa told you, man, you knew that story. You knew all he went through. And yet you're cocky and thick-headed and stiff-necked and, and worshiping stuff. Are we? It goes on. Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Have, have you picked a fight with God today, man? If I could just encourage you away from that. It doesn't go well. Again, not because God is horrible, but because he's amazing and he invites us into so much more. And every parent in this room would do whatever it took for their kid to be on the right path, Right? Like every parent in this room, would, like if my kids are, are on the wrong path or if they're going somewhere they shouldn't or they're, they're, they're doing something that's going to harm them, like I'm going to do anything I can to point them in the right direction and pray for them and counsel them and encourage them. And sometimes you have to, especially you little ones, right, or you, you with little ones, physically intervene, physically pick them up. Like, and here's God saying to these two men, like, I'm here to intervene. I'm here to get your eyes back on me. Get your eyes off you and get your eyes off stuff. Back on me. goes on. You had the goblets from this temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, wives, concubines drank from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Listen, which cannot see, hear, or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Can I ask you a question? Do you think these things can see, hear, or understand me? Do these hold my, my, my life in their hands, right? Like, is this actually what it's all about here? I mean, even this, we could say, okay, it can see and hear me can't stink and understand you. Just telling you. I, it's like, uh, Siri, text Kelly. I love her. And it's like, text Calvin. You know, it's like, Calvin was my kid's coach like 10 years ago. I get a thing like, oh, I haven't heard from you a decade, Doug, but love you too. I was like, thanks so much, right? So whatever Iron Man, Terminator, Skynet thing they can come up with, it's not really seeing, hearing, and understanding. Isn't it crazy I have to say that sentence? But I do. Because we're getting tricked, aren't we? We're starting to feel like our stuff gets us more than God does. But he sees and he hears and he understands. Why, why is sovereignty not a scary word? Because it doesn't just mean control, authority. It means presence. And he's with us. And he sees us and he hears us. So don't make your device or your house or your car or your stuff or your job or your jewelry. Or, don't make it ultimate. It's never going to do what you want it to do. Verse 24. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. So remember the hand that appeared and wrote on the wall? Many, many, tekel, parson. Okay, wasn't a fabricated hand, a real hand. I'd like to see Siri try that off. Siri, uh, please create a hand, uh, actual physical hand to write on the wall. Like not gonna happen. God pulls that off alone. Verse 26, here is what these words mean. Many, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Now remember, the original message wasn't just mene tekel parson. It was mene mene tekel parson. And when something's said twice, God really wants us to hear it. And so he repeats that. Tekel, 
You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Okay, so if you were here a few weeks ago, you will remember that the dream Nebuchadnezzar had said somebody was going to come after his kingdom. Do you remember who it was? Medes and the Persians. I love it when the Bible lines up with history. Verse 29. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And that's the last thing this king ever did. Verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylons, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Nebuchadnezzar learned an important lesson. Humble yourself before the Lord. He's sovereign. He's big. But he's good, and he's present. Belshazzar didn't learn that, and furthermore, continued to worship idols. And I think what we can learn from both of them is that only our sovereign God is worthy of our worship and ultimate love. It's only him. Whenever we make it about us or we make it about a thing or even somebody else, man, it all just gets backwards. And today, I just want to encourage you and challenge you to learn from these guys' mistakes and that we would learn from our own mistakes and we would just come back to, Lord, I'm going to surrender my life to you. I'm going to you know, not make it about what I can do, but I'm also not going to make it about defiance. When you say go left, I go right. I'll come to you and I'm going to humble my heart. And wow, what God could do with a humble heart. Wow, what God did with Jesus' humble heart. What, what a different way to live. I just, I, you can see in the words the difference between Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 and Nebuchadnezzar previously. You just see it. You got a revelation of who the real God is. And it changed him. Humble yourself. Look at this stuff for what it is. It's a, it's a blessing. As long as we don't make it ultimate. It's all the keys attached to this and all the stuff that belongs to that. I mean, all gifts. But I just got to tell you something. Sorry to the kids in the room, but this, this did not give its life for you. It does not have your life in its hands. In fact, you have its life in your hands very literally. And so, what the heck are we doing? making this stuff ultimate. Like, what are we thinking? Giving our hearts to this stuff. It's like that a beautiful passage in the scriptures that says that when we worship all this stuff, we're worshiping broken cisterns or broken wells when God is springing up like a spring of life geyser out of the ground. Man, this is a hard word, but what a beautiful thing that we're invited into this closeness with God. And so, Humble yourself before the Lord and make your eyes focused on him above all other things because pride and idolatry want to kill our walk with the Lord. You know what? I said this a few years ago, and I don't know that it came out the right way, but God just put on my heart a few years ago that anything that humbles you is your friend. And when I say, the reason I say it that way is because that's how I felt God, God said it to me. But what I mean by that is, and I think what God means by that is that I'm not saying like if, if a person is horrible to you and you're humbled in that situation, that new person, that person now becomes your best friend because they might just keep doing that and we don't have to keep putting ourselves in harm's way like that to just be decimated week after week, moment after moment after moment, right? But, but God uses circumstances that are broken and painful to humble us and that humbling, that, that situation that humbled us is our friend. So I'll just give you an example. A few weeks ago, no, not, not weeks, many, many months ago now, somebody just like decimated me just like came at me, like you could have scraped me off the floor when they were done. And I was so hurt. I wasn't sleeping. I was just angry. 
And I'm just telling you, months removed from that, I can tell you how much the Lord used that situation in my life. How, how that really painful, hurtful thing was used to not only humble me, but grow me and challenge me and strengthen me. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm a better leader for you because of that horrific thing that I hope never happens to me again. But it's just a crazy illustration of what God does even with those painful things that we walk through in our lives, anything that humbles us is our friend. Anything that humbles us is to be embraced and say, all right, Lord. And again, I'm not saying put yourself in, on harm's way and you know, run toward horrible situations, but as the Lord allows them and leads, us to, leads us to them and through them, it's amazing if we will surrender to him what he can do in our hearts with even the worst. So I'd say today, let's humble ourselves before the Lord. Let's get our eyes on our God and off our stuff, or at least a lot less on our stuff. Let's make sure he's number one. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this word today that is challenging from the book of Daniel. Thank you for uh, the way that you speak to us, Lord. And thank you for what you invite us into. So we just bring to you our hearts now. And I just want to pray over all of us, Lord, that we would be humble today, God. That we would recognize gifts and talents all there because you are good and you have gifted us. Scripture says that all gifts, all good things come down from the Father above. And Lord, for those of us in the room that are trying to go left because you said right, or trying to go right because you said left, Lord, oh God, that we would submit to you today, that we would surrender our way to your way, knowing who you are, and let you just be God, let you show off. God, go do your thing. You be big, God. I'll be small. You be big. Do your thing. Build your kingdom. If I could be a part of it, let me be a part of it. But Lord, that we would all want to be a part of what you're doing. Thank you that that endures forever. The applause of man fades before you hit the door before you get in the car and turn the key on. But God, thank you that we're a part of something that goes on forever. And Lord, for those of us today, that God, we just are so consumed with stuff, that God, we would stop worshiping at that altar. That God, we would recognize you offer that spring, that geyser of life, and we're running and trying to play in our stupid broken wells. God, please encourage us today to keep our eyes on you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you heard me say today that Jesus died for you. He gave his life for you. He rose from the dead that you would know him. Nobody else did that for you. No thing could do that for you. You can't do that for yourself. Nobody can do it for you. It's only found in Jesus. So if you want to put your trust in him, I'd love for you to pray with me now. Just pray something quietly like this. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for dying in my place. I believe today that you rose from the dead and that that is my salvation. That you've forgiven me you put your Holy Spirit in my life and do something so powerful. Thank you for this gift. In your name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand together and let's close out worshiping today. And if anybody needs prayer, please come up to the front and let us pray with you during this last song. And, you know, sometimes when we do a message like this on pride or something like that, I feel like sometimes people are less likely to come up because they feel like if I go up, people are going to think I'm going up because of pride or idolatry or whatever. Just come up. Yeah, you, there's a, there's a bunch of people in this room today that need prayer for something, healing, encouragement, provision, direction. Just come up and let's, 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 let's care for you and let our prayer team pray with you.